Hello, 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 hello. It's good to see you. Say hello. Welcome to the Husky Hockey Podcast, your number one all Husky Hockey, all NCHC, all the time, most of the time. Sometimes we go on tangents, but we're still fun to listen to. I'm Weldy, sitting here with Andrew. Happy Halloween, Huskies. A little bit of a scare over the weekend, so we'll uh, we'll get into that, and then we'll uh, kind of go preview, preview that big uh, tilt up at Magnus, which our good buddy Andrew, you're going to be there, right? That's right. Yeah, that's that's gonna be a that's gonna be a fun series. So we'll uh, we'll jump into that a little bit later in the show. But you know, sticking with Halloween, uh, it was my first uh, real trip for the for the kids. You know, I've got a five year old and twins that are two. It was like their Clara's first real Halloween. My five year old, because uh, looking back at our memories on Facebook and whatnot, our last year we were in isolation for COVID. And then two years ago, we were exposed to COVID and in quarantine. And then before that, we just didn't want to deal with it because she was too young. So um, it was uh, it, it was it was exhausting uh, with uh, all three kids kind of running up uh, down the streets of St. Cloud, a little nerve wracking. But uh, we got through it and everyone's OK. That's great. Happy Halloween. Go Huskies. Boo. <laughs> boo. Um, yeah. You know, just kind of starting out here, kind of curious. You know, my kids got, you know, pretty good size candy, you know, or good good size thing of candy for, you know, only being two or whatnot. Well, Will dressed up like a dinosaur. Luke was a tiger. It was the cutest thing ever. I was going to I was gonna ask what the costumes were. And then uh, Clara was a witch, which kind of surprised me. This is like, she's very much Disney, obviously oriented. You know, you can give her a book of, you know, I want to be Sonia Sotomayor or all of these, you know, kind of like girl power books and whatnot and still wants to grow up to be a princess. <laughs> so just whatever. Um, but just kind of thinking if you were to get or if you were to pick maybe, you know, sorry to put you on the spot here, but like overrated, underrated candy, you know, like what do you like? I want your candy hot takes here. What would you say is an overrated uh, candy bar, and what's an underrated one? Well, I feel like whatever I say, if I say something's underrated, you're gonna be like, "Oh no, that's properly rated." Uh, I'll. Uh, how about this? Overrated full size candy bars. And everyone's like, <laughs> "Ooh, it's it's the it's the house that gives away the full candy bars. That's the best oh, house." Oh man, Teresa, I'll go. We- there was one house that we had at Halloween that gave out full size, and Teresa and I are still talking about that on the ride home. It's like, oh, well, here's yeah, that's here's the house my rationale for that hot take. I think there's a guilt factor there when you're eating it. The fun size, you can, I mean, you can have thirty of those, and you're just like, yep, <laughs> give, give me another one, please. You have the whole thing, and you're just like, I've had four. I've had a whole uh, Snickers bar, the the king size Snickers bar. It's like I can't have another one. Whereas if you had six fun size Snickers, there'd be less guilt involved. Gotcha. Do you get gotcha. my Do you get my uh, reasoning for that? So, so it's like you could have one, you know, full size candy bar, or you could have even like six of 
multiple things and get a smorgasbord. Uh, a, That's a right. Coup de tay or whatnot. Uh, and so really, who's ever given out these king-sized candy bars, it's really just for themselves. It's for their own factor. <laughs> they're patting themselves on their back, saying that they're going to the, you know, the water cooler the next day and say, you know, I, I all the your guys' ju- I'm the guy that, I, I didn't even just give out the regular-sized candy bars. <laughs> I gave away the king-sized candy bars. It's really not about the giftee, it's about the giver. Uh, and gotcha. so I think I, just keep it to the fun size and you know, uh, that's good. As far as the actual like, candy bars, like, like, like I am, you know, I'm in, I'm in the St. Cloud area. So I didn't, you know, we had one house that did that. I'm sure if we went to like Sartell and did trick or treating, <sighs> I bet like all of those houses mm. would just chuck kinks. I have two or three. Well, so. What's the, uh, South end of St. Cloud. They got some shacks there. Yeah, there you go. I don't know the exact the what the Walden Woods called. area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, King sized uh, Snickers all all up in there. As far as actual candy bars, again, I feel like this is just going to be a comparison of what we think is good or not. I, I feel like this the salted nut roll is sort of underrated. Although that's that's oh, a that's, favorite of mine. That's good. Um, yeah, we gave that, away that, that we, doesn't get we, enough love. I agree. We we gave away Reese's peanut butter cups because my last name is Reese, different spelling. But so Reese's, any Reese's, but the cups in particular, I do have a soft spot for those. Throw them in the freezer. Uh, life hack. Throw them in the freezer. They're really good. Um, kind, of, kind of frozen. They, they don't mm. get. It's not like they get ice cold, but yeah. it's it's nice to, to have them chilled. You don't want to like I eat melt. The, them, you know? Yeah, I I eat Snickers that way every once in a while. Yeah, out of the freezer. Yeah, it's, so that those are, I, I and I I think like saying like candy corn sucks. I think that's sort of a mainstream opinion now. Yeah, like I feel terrible. like if you're if you're the one person who says candy corn is great, that's the hot take. But I, I don't care for it, so I don't feel like that is going on much of a limb. How about you? Um, one that I don't think gets enough respect and I know not a lot of people, everyone's kind of going to roll their eyes. Uh, uh, I'm a big fan of crackle, you know, the, the chocolate yeah. and rice combination, you know, you know, yeah, like crunch, crunch bar and whatnot too, is that's, uh, I'm a fan. And every time I go to my parents usually has like a candy dish or whatnot there, you know, they haven't graduated up to the hard candies yet. You know, they haven't gotten that, you know, they're not that up in age. Uh, it's only a matter of time before they have the drawer full of wor- Worthers like my uh, like my grandpa used to. But I hope my parents aren't listening to the show. Sorry, Mom, if you're listening to the show, I, I love you. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll text you back about, uh, about holiday plans here shortly. Um, but uh, Crackle, I'm a big fan of. Um, as far as overrated... You know, I just, I, I think Twix gets too much love. Like I, I like the caramel and I like, like, but it's just like every time I eat it, it's like, I feel it's like kind of stringy in my mouth and it's just, I don't know. I don't feel good after I eat a Twix. So that's uh that's my hot take there. The left or the right. So yeah, I, uh, do not break one off or. <laughs> Or Weldy here. That's a, that's a Kit Kat Lund. bar. First off, or God, yeah, I'm getting, second, now I'm getting my candies. Mixed second up off, here. Kit Kat. I think. Uh, okay, yeah, that's know. what I was thinking. 
that, yeah, that's what I was thinking Twix was. Okay, yeah, now I'm oh. thinking, now I've got Twix bar in my mind. Because when you mm-hmm. said the two, especially, I thought, you know, the fingers of the Kit Kat kind of thing. But oh, gotcha. No, I think you're wrong about Twix. I think it's, I think Twix is solid. Well, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. So that's our, so I will be eating all my kids' crackle. But that's the thing, it's like, it's so <laughs> underrated. Like, nobody hands out crackle. And I get Isn't that a like, bit bummed. <laughs> I feel like there was like a a, a uh, va- like a combo pack of candy, fun size candy that had like that. Was it like a hundred or um, hundred grand? grand? And something else. It was like something else that wasn't very good. Like I'm not a big coconut in candy fan, so like I'm thinking like, like mounds almond or joy or almond <laughs> joy. Also not yeah. very good. Figuring like that was and the. Of that, the crackle was by far the one that I liked the most. So I, I'm with yeah. you on the crackle. All right, good. good, good, good. So, um, yeah, a lot of lot of cool house decorations. It's uh, it's kind of also yeah, an underrated season for house decorations for for Halloween too. Some people, some houses like really get into it and whatnot. So, um, you know, kids loved running around and touching all of the decorations and then shouting boo at me. So they got into it. It was it was it was fun. So uh, uh, do some uh, pumpkin uh, pumpkin carving or pumpkin smashing. <laughs> so uh, no, although like other you know underrated bands, I really like smashing pumpkins. Smashing and maybe pump- it's pumpkins they're are, not are solid. Maybe not. They're not underrated, but you know they're one of those. It's like not enough people are like, oh man, they're so good. And I think more people should say that. Um. No, we did. We didn't. We bought a pumpkin and we put it on our porch. I think we had the intention of like carving it and you know and whatnot. But our squirrels are just savages. Like our pumpkin on our stoop has like four holes in it from squirrels just getting at it and picking it apart. So we didn't even get the chance to do any carving. So, but my wife made um like a uh. uh pumpkin cake Ooh, with the cream cheese frosting cream cheese frosting Ugh. yep in in a bundt cake pan and it was so good Ugh. and i'm not even like because like i think pumpkin pie is overrated like i'm just kind of like it's not for me but that I pumpkin it. cake it was so good another one where people seem to think like pumpkin spice there's like a big backlash to that and i mean I, i'm not crazy about I'm not crazy about it, but you know, once once a month or something, I'll have something pumpkin flavored. It's not that bad. I can yeah. see people saying it's just it's a little much, but you know, is the season, I suppose. Yeah. My, I think it was my 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 wife's first like real pumpkin spice latte season that she went for it because. And she's like, it's, it's really good. Like, there's a reason why, like everyone, like there, there's kind of like, like, I call it the Titanic effect and I'm sure it has like a real th- like thing, like a real name for it. But it's like when Titanic came out, the movie, not the actual ship, when the movie Titanic came out, it was a big hit. Everybody loved it, won all the awards. And then there was like this big backlash against it about, you know, it's actually not that good. And now it's like people are coming around to it. It's like, yeah, it's actually really good. We were right the first time. I feel it's that way with pumpkin spice, where it's you know came on strong, 
then you hit the resistance and now it's going to withstand the test of time. Disco music too. Huh? I put that, I put that in that category. Big really? disco fan. I love disco, but in the nineties till about maybe 2010, it was a joke. Um, even like eighties, I at, right after it, if you look into the actual history of disco, very, very short time period. It was the most popular music for about 18 months. And then there was a, I mean, there was a, there was a large backlash during its popularity. But then one, once it fell out of favor, which is like 81 or so, for about 20 years, it was mocked and ridiculed. But I, I think that it's, it's come back and it's, it's had somewhat of a resurgence. Gotcha. Uh, and it's, um, and I like the, I like the original stuff. I was rocking out to some Casey and the Sunshine Band in the shower today. Oh, well, there you go. Well, play that funky music, white boy. Um, is that Casey? And the, that might not be Casey and the Sunshine. No, that's not. That's uh, Wild yeah, Cherry. That's Wild but Cherry. That's right. It's it's you in the same the realm. It's in the same <laughs> realm. Um, yeah. Originally, the producers of or um of Star Wars, like the studio heads, the Star Wars, they wanted the soundtrack to be disco. So, if you could imagine, been, yeah a disco soundtrack for the original star Wars and George Lucas was like, nah, I think we'll go with John Williams. And I think that turned out to be probably the best decision ever made <laughs> in, in, in cinematic yes. history. I didn't, I did not know that tidbit. That's uh, yeah. that is interesting to think about though. There was a really cool YouTube video I watched not too long ago that kind of broke down like this whole genre, even that came up after it or like, you know, about a six months after the movie came out, there was an album like it was a disco version of John Williams' score, hmm. and lots, yeah, lots yeah. of that kind of stuff in that time. In that yeah. time, like disco remixes, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's like all of those were bangers. <laughs> those are pretty sweet songs. Anyway, we got it. We got hockey <laughs> to get to. So sorry for the. Do we you know what I said earlier about us going off off script? Whatever, the Midgey. Loss. Uh, first uh, suffered our first loss of the year on Friday, uh, three to one with an empty netter, uh, and then uh, came back on Saturday and ended up winning four to one in a much much better performance. So you know, just kind of when you assess the the weekend, assess the games, you know, kind of what, what what was your kind of a big overarching takeaway? Uh, disappointing. I think would be my takeaway. Uh, Friday was was an uninspired effort, um, and sort of carried over at least the first period on Saturday. wasn't until the second period I thought on Saturday that the Huskies really showed up on the weekend mm-hmm. uh, and averted complete disaster by winning that Saturday game. for For a while there, it was looking hairy. Uh, I, I was unsure if the Huskies were going to score at all on Saturday until it started until the floodgates opened and on the whole, the Saturday game, I think was a, was a good showing. Uh, the Friday game was not, uh, spoil or trigger warning. I should say I had flashbacks to the AIC game on Friday. That's how bad it was. At least for my, that's uh, in my perspective. Was was not a good performance, and I just kept waiting for the team to to show up, and it never. 
quite happened. Team has a tendency to do that every now and then. Haven't seen it this year, obviously. Uh, it's the only time that that's really been the case in the first eight games. But um, pretty lackluster performance and, and a lack of uh, making adjustments, especially after Bemidji gets the lead after two periods. I'm thinking that third period's going to look a lot different. Uh, but more of the same, Huskies were sort of accommodating the Beavers' style at that point, keeping everything to the outside, shooting directly, you know, long shots that were easily blocked. Bemidji sort of very much okay with playing a dump-and-chase game, really didn't have any desire to play offense in that third period. Again, the Huskies seemed to be just fine with uh, playing right into that. So, pretty frustrating uh, loss, I thought, on, on Friday. But, as I said, disaster of getting swept was averted. Uh, and I don't like that. I don't think that they should have needed to lose in order to really get up for this Denver series. You could have done that without the loss. But maybe it'll, it will serve as some sort of motivating um, Influence going into this Denver series, which is going to be a big step up in quality of opponent. You know, if they were playing Denver the way that the Huskies played on Friday, they were playing Denver, they would have lost by six goals. Um, so they they need they need to work some stuff out here uh, because that's or even the Saturday how they played on Saturday that's not going to beat Denver, I don't think. Um, so going into this next series, it, it's. Clearly the toughest test, even more so than Mankato, I think. Denver is the better of the two teams going into this series. So I'm, 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 ho- I'm looking for and hoping for a better showing than against this uh, Bemidji team that they just played. How about you for, uh, for overall opinions or takeaways on the weekend? Yeah, it, Friday's game was frustrating, to say the least. And... You know, we get the goal early, and it's like, okay, this is expected, in, and kind of keep things rolling. And then Bemidji really almost took over. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't right away, but, I mean, especially the last half of the first period, I felt like Bemidji was just kind of dominating that whole stretch. And then we got out of the period, still up one nothing, and I was like, okay, um, you know, adjust. And I feel like so far this season, uh, Larson has done a really good job of making those adjustments in the second period and, you know, kind of getting the team back on track when it, when it strays away. And it was just kind of more of the same. The second period was just a slog all around. It was just, just painful to watch. Um, you know, we got the power plays and even, you know, when we get, uh, you know, kind of, those two power plays, you know, almost back to back there in the second period. And, and you're just waiting for like someone to kind of make a play or kind of step up and just nothing of the sort really happened. And like you said, everything to the perimeter, everything was getting blocked, you know, I guess credit to Bemidji, but you got to make some kind of a move. You got to do something a little bit different. You know, it's the old, what is it? Einstein quote. I don't know if it's actually Einstein, but it's the, what the definition of insanity is doing the same thing. Do expect a different result. And that's kind of what it felt like 
as we're watching. And then Bemidji scores one late, and then they score one right afterwards. And at that time, it's like you want to believe that your team is going to kind of get back on the right track, but it's like, there is nothing to suggest that that was going to happen. Now they did have some chances on, you know, some, some breakaways or some, you know, two on ones or whatnot, but it just every, every time that we had that chance, it, it just ended up at some, some sort of a letdown. And it was just like, this is not our night. It felt like the passing was just completely off, you know, for us to be held underneath 20 shots is, is really telling, especially when we had, you know, what, five power plays, seven power play opportunities, seven, seven power play opportunities. So it's. And they convert, they convert in their first one right away, right away on it. You know, and, and, then shortly after that, maybe a minute after that, then you had the uh, sort of uh, turnover in the Bemidji zone where I think it's Crookshank gets a golden opportunity, great save by Shoal, and without that great save would have been two nothing. You know, and I, I hate to say that I called this coming into the weekend, or where last podcast I sort of had a bad feeling about that Bemidji that Friday game. And after the first goal goes in, I'm like, well, maybe I was, and then especially after that chance, it could have been two nothing. It's like, well, maybe I was just, uh, too nervous or something, but then that they peaked. That was their peak of the game. Oh, like yeah. they just got progressively worse when even sort of late in the second period and the Huskies were still ahead. I had, I thought that they were going to lose the game when they, when Bemidji finally scores their first goal. I'm like, I mean, this is just a matter of time. I don't think Caster is to blame for in, in that game. Uh-uh. Just the the way that the game was, uh, the possession kind of game was was tilted towards Bemidji's favor. Uh, and I yeah, I don't remember any breakaways that game. There was that I didn't really feel that there was many grade A chances at all for the Huskies. There was like a two on a semi two on one. I don't know five minutes to go in the game. I think it was a Miller and Crookshank opportunity, and Miller and but Crookshank still. Game, yeah. Still, just like they, I can't remember who took the shot, but it was like a shot, you know, a little bit beyond the dots. It wasn't, I don't think they really even made the best out of that opportunity. And that was mm. the best chance they had, I thought, in the last two periods combined. And so there was guys that were, I mean, I, I had to look halfway through the game as if Mietnin was hurt and I missed it because he was invisible. Um, was not surprised that he was uh, taken off that line. Uh, they did a little line shuffling for the Saturday game. Uh, that made sense to me because Vietnam oh, yeah. was, was nowhere to be seen uh, uh, in Friday's game. And it just was, uh, it's, like I said, it, it reminded me of that AIC game where it just seemed like the Huskies never really came to play or it just it was like sleepwalking. Uh, and I can't quite explain uh that but uh very frustrating and and <laughs> as you said Bemidji this was this sort of reminded me of the Bemidji of old uh you know, saying last week about how you know guys like Sillinger that they've had in the last few years have, have changed the identity of the program slightly uh, but this was sort of the the Bemidji we know and love where 
like I said, once they get that two to one lead, just kind of shutting down and clamping down and and uh, and playing strong defense, but that does not uh, add up to a compelling product to watch. Mm-hmm. When I'm going to to Denver this weekend, one of the games I'll be taking a friend who's going to be going to his first hockey game in person. Oh, and. I am very glad that we're not going to that game in Bemidji. <laughs> if that was the first game that someone saw in person, <laughs> I wouldn't blame them if that was the last game that they saw in person. Um, and that's, again, teams do what they need to do to win games. I'm not blaming Bemidji for playing that sort of style. And to their credit, as you said, St. Cloud played right into it. And you can't blame Bemidji for St. Cloud failing to make the adjustment and, and playing into the game, playing into the hands of Bemidji. They did what they needed to do to win, but it just from a product on the ice standpoint, tough to watch. I'm confident that at least with Denver, you know, with, when a team like Denver is on the ice, St. Cloud, that that's, that's a style that they like to play as well. So I'm, Confident that there's at least going to be solid hockey games on display this weekend in, in Magnus. But just even as a TV spectator, that uh, Friday game was, was not, uh, not very notable. We're going to forget about everything that happened in that game in about two days, I, I feel, because there really wasn't many highlight reel. You know, the two goals that Bemidji scored, sort of shots that are screens and tips and and so not, not even much to write home about uh, there. I guess it just well, from St. Cloud's on, on the first Vimigi goal that was what Cronulla was trying to what hit um, hit the Bemidji player off the puck. Uh, I believe he was you know kind of trying to hit uh, Rosen off the puck, and it was just a total mismatch. Just went right around. Cronulla, and then uh, it was Okabe was caught really in between, um, you know, either helping Cronulla or uh, taking the 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 shooter right in front of the slot. Uh, ended up doing neither, which is the worst thing you could do. And then did that goal uh, went in, but when you know it, it was one of those rare defensive breakdowns where you know if your line of defense there was Cronulla and then Okabe back there when it's you know five on five hockey that that's not a good recipe no offense to okabe who you know i played i thought really good on saturday um but it 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 was it was just it was just a bunch of discombobulated players all all game there on friday yeah i don't know why i remember this right now but here's your reminder to cancel flow sports oh yeah for the month um, I have to do that uh, after this uh, podcast, after we record this. So cancel it unless you want to get charged for another month. Uh, but yeah, I agree. And uh, I, yeah, I, and then he had Flaming's goal um, uh, on the power play shortly after they take the two to one lead. And, and as we've mentioned, the third period wasn't much to write home about either. And, Salted away a victory for for the Beavers, and uh, yeah, not uh, not pretty, but they got the job done. And from St. Cloud's perspective, needing uh, needing a jolt uh, in the home game on Saturday, coming back to uh, to avoid the sweep, and you know they had to work for it. 
again, not easy. And I thought it took them a period to really find their feet uh, on the Saturday game as well. And, and getting behind again early in this game, sort of the inversion of the Friday game where St. Cloud takes an early lead in the first few minutes. Bemidji does this uh, on Saturday, uh, converting on a too many men penalty. Bunch of bench minors and... It was had... a it was a real ref show this weekend. I thought. I thought it was so a the, lot of that. Oh, well, yeah, the too many eye men. Two, each team takes a too many men penalty on Friday. They got even it up. St. Cloud takes too many men on Saturday, and then they call Bemidji on a bench minor for, according to Jim Rich, a new rule. Maybe we went over this in our... I, I forget this one. But they're apparently cracking down on players leaving the bench after a period to stick-tap their goaltender. This is what we're calling delay of game now. And Bemidji takes a two-minute penalty. Why? Yeah, Why? I mean, so dumb. You're really trying to speed the game up? The, the, you've done that already by... they. It's instead of 15 minute intermissions, I think 12 minutes is sort of the max for an intermission now. That's getting that's shortening the intermission. How is the guy leaving the bench to congratulate his goalie? And any sort of time savings that you had was negated when Seratori takes two minutes, rightfully, I should add, barking about the penalty that yeah. was called. What you know, so you're not saving any time there having to explain it to bewildered coaches. Here's my suggestion. Any sort of bench minor, if you want to throw in these face-off violations that they're really stick stickler about now, uh, pucks like going into the crowd. I know that's an NHL thing, not so much a college thing. How about instead of a two-minute penalty, a one-minute penalty? Like, what? Why if some guy runs a guy into the boards and they have to review it to see if it might be a major, why is that the same amount of penalty time than a guy leaving the bench to congratulate his goalie after the period. Like these are not apples and apples infractions in my, so that's my suggestion. You want is, a, a micro penalty. You have a micro, a, micro. a minor. I don't know what major. you call it. Yeah. Maybe make that the minor and then the intermediate and the ah, major. Maybe oh, you resize you things and jumble it up a little bit, but w- would that count yeah, as not... half of a power play then Would that uh, like, would no, you... it's to be a power play and you, you would, Measure it like, like by for the stats minute. wise. Okay, okay. So so I, you wouldn't I, be like like three for five point five on the power play because there was that one minute power play that you had. You, I think that the 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 stats that we have now, I think are aren't great either because just a, t- redo a team it all. Ha- goes a team goes zero for two on a power play, let's say in a game, and they had one two minute power play, and then later on in the game they had a. They had a penalty that was called on them, and they killed a penalty off for a minute and a half, and then their other team gets called for a penalty. So their power play was only 30 seconds long because of the overlap of the four-on-four four and whatnot. You get what I mean. Like, they uh-huh. did not get a full two-minute penalty. So they're 0 for 2, but they only had, let's say, 2 minutes and 30 seconds of power play time. It's, it's deceiving, I think, when you just have the raw number. And then that spits out the 33% or whatever St. Cloud had last year. I would rather, like, let's, let's f- do it like power play goals per minute or something. I think that would be a more accurate way of 
depicting a, a good power good a power play is rather than the total chances you're dividing the goals by the total chances you have because that can be five minutes that can be a two minute power play that can be a 30 second power play it can be a 10 second time of a power play as well so maybe it's too yeah. confusing but I, I feel like that's like an analytics thing that hockey has not addressed and you think that 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 could make the, the picture clearer. At least it wouldn't really change things about how teams run their power plays, but it would just make comparing the teams' power play strength a little bit more accurate. Maybe this is a a, a needless thing, but that's, you know, if we're on <laughs> I the like topic. It. I like it. I like it. So, um, but, you know, as, as you were talking earlier about, you know, the, the lines, a little bit of the shakeup. Yeah. Um, where, uh, you know, they kind of kept some pairings, but they move people around Mietnan, uh, like you said, drops back to the third line. Um, and then, uh, you had, I believe was Saturday. You had an all freshman line or, or was Mietnan with, um, Ingram on. Mietnan was with Ingram. That's for sure. They had Rogers and a Sean. I don't think it was at all freshman line because I think Salk was centering that fourth line. Then you did have Riders in the lineup for Zemer on the back end, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. I really like the Ingram Mietnan pairing. Actually, yeah. I'm wondering if I'm wondering if that's going to continue. I, I'd almost imagine it is at least in the short term uh, for the next series. At least, let's say the one thing that I. I I think so too because I think that opened up some ice for Ingram, who scored obviously the goal of the weekend right. um, with that right. uh, beautiful toe drag. Yeah, and I was thinking too when I saw that change, I liked it on a couple of levels. I, I've never felt like that. You know, they call it the international exchange line. I never felt like that line did as much to warrant a nickname, if that makes sense. Like, a good line and good players, but they weren't a consistent force. And I like the keeping Crandall and Okabe together. Um, I, I, I like the idea of, of pairing a few of them together, but with one game down under our belts, I, I'm really kind of liking this Miet and, and Ingram line. Also, don't forget the killer pass that Ingram made to Mietnan for the first goal on Saturday. Yeah, power play tally. Excellent feed there. So, and I was thinking, so when I saw that change, I'm like, I think this might be good for both Mietnan, but also for Ingram, who I'm starting to feel a little, you know, bad for because he's been playing, he has not had a steady line combination all year. Seemingly every game, I think the St. Thomas series, they started him with Brand and Molinar as his wings. And I think that was the case for the two St. Thomas games. But since then, I'm pretty sure every game he's had different line mates. Um, I believe Ashan was on that line with him for a little bit. Brand was hurt for the Wisconsin series. I think that's why Ashan stepped in there. Uh, I'm not even sure if he's played with Molinar since that first weekend. It seems to be a constant sort of flux there. And it's hard, you know, he's been relatively quiet prior to Saturday. Ingram talking about, but I don't really blame him so much. I mean, he's still a freshman, 18 years old. And 
beyond that, you're you're throwing all these different line combos with you. It's it's hard for a guy like that to 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 expect something consistent from him when he's always f- having to figure out new chemistry with line mates on an even game by game basis. So with the clicking of Mietnin, not only with Ingram but also from the other side, Mietnin finding some kind of three with Ingram that might fix both of those players. And I don't think, you know, Mietnin's been better this year than last year, as far as Mietnin's disappearance really only lasted one game so far this year. Whereas last year he had stretches, multiple stretches, yeah. whereas multiple games where we couldn't find him. Uh, and so those stretches of invisibility have been lessened this year. And so I'm expecting that line, that at least that that pairing to to continue for this weekend, and I'm I'm glad to see that because as you said, that that Ingram goal, uh, <laughs> they were and they were interviewing him like, yeah, practice that backhand, and he's just kind of like, yeah, meh, not really, but it's just something I was thought would be a good idea, and you don't really see the roofed uh, backhand. From the top of the slot, like yeah, you don't see that shot off too often. Was too. Yeah. yeah, and and it got past Enright, who I thought played really well for Bemidji. Yeah, he. Um, I thought he played excellent. Well, you know, it's... one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about with the, you know, both with the Mietnin goal, the power play goal, and the Ingram goal, which were, you know, two goals obviously desperately needed, um, considering with how the weekend was going, um, but you know. St. Cloud played, you know, finally kind of found their rhythm there in the second period. Played with a little more urgency, and I think that's what was missing in Friday's game is they felt like they had too much, or they would have more time with the puck or whatnot. But, um, you know, Mietnin, you know, makes that, you know, scores in the wide open net, um, but, you know, just... I don't, I don't want to say it was about 20 seconds earlier, had a great A opportunity yeah. that he missed on. Yeah. Um, Ingram, Ingram had a, had a breakaway that he was stuffed on, um, was able to, you know, not hang his head or pout or anything like that. He was, he was able to get the steal up at the, at the neutral zone, come back and then go back in shelf me. And then, you know, has a tendency to whiff the net <laughs> from that, uh, from that spot and doesn't make a mistake and just puts it on and just dr- drills it home. So, um, you know, whereas I, I do feel that there were some times that the opportunities did arise in the Friday game. Um, you know, I guess we disagree a little bit on that aspect. I think we did have the chances to do. But, um, you know, where we were opportunistic early in the season, we definitely weren't on Friday. Here we had the opportunities, and even if we didn't convert on them, we stuck with it, ended up getting rewarded. So, I mean, that's – I, I that – you know, that's kind of the mentality this team needs to have because we don't have, I don't think, the horses to, you know, put up the points like we did in the the Newell, um, Kosala, et cetera, era of Huskies hockey. Yeah, and, yeah, just talking about, yeah, they had three or four breakaways in that Saturday game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, mentioning Enright playing very well for Midgey, there's – Definitely more than four golden opportunities for the Huskies to cash in on. So, I mean, by all 
you know, lights, they could have put six or seven on the board, but not for some quality goaltending. So, uh, you know, let's hope for for more of that. And, and also, you know, you know, praise to the back end for St. Cloud playing a good game on Saturday. I mean, other than that, that early goal for Bemidji, it was power play goal, um, sort of to get a three-on-one deep in the zone. I, I can't remember who blew the coverage there from the back end, but nothing that Bassey could have done on that play. But but after that, really, very few quality chances for Bemidji the rest of the way. And I think uh, you know, a lot of it was St. Cloud is able to possess the puck more, um, just avoid having the Beavers uh, take, you know, take charge of the game and set up shop. Like that's kind of what they were able to do on Friday, not able to do that on Saturday. And uh, good job by Bassey again, wondering, you know, a month into the season, if we have a, I, I might actually give my, my edge to Caster, which if you would have asked me that, you know, even <laughs> after Bassey's transfer was announced, I would have, been surprised been surprised if you were telling me eight games into the season, you know, almost a quarter of the way in, that I would prefer Caster to Bassey at this point. It's not a large gap there separating the goaltenders, but I don't know. Something about you know, maybe it's like Bassey's gotta still gotta work on he did it again on Saturday, kicking the net off the the moorings couple of yeah. times and he was penalized for that in the uh, Mankato series uh-huh. and he's sort of he's sort of blaming the the ice mechanics you know you gotta set the pegs there deeper well no when when we see it multiple times in a game here and we didn't see I don't think we saw the Mankato goalie knock the pegs off and didn't see the Bemidji goaltender have problems with that either so he's got a work on his side-to-side motions and not knocking the net off, because if that continues, he's going to get penalized for more. Uh, But I just, I don't know, maybe it's the senior leadership from Caster and the, you know, been with the program more and he kind of is more familiar with, uh, you know, the teammates and and all that and the the, the rink itself and perhaps that's uh giving him the early edge in in my eyes but do you do you have any sort of um you know one month in goaltending indeed be just i mean we're sticking with this uh friday saturday flip flop i i would say sure i mean it's yeah. not it's not war it's not uh failed us yet i mean one loss in there but i don't think you can blame goaltending for that yeah exactly and that's where you know, especially like looking at the stats, you got a 1.25 goals against for Bassey versus a 1.51 for Caster. 9.45 save percentage for Bassey, a 9.38 for Caster. I mean, these are minuscule. And really, their only difference is, you know, the Friday Bemidji game when, again, nobody played well that series. Right. So. Yeah, I, I would say going into Denver here, we keep with the rotation. Um, and I think Denver is going to be a good test and to see where these goaltenders are and to see where this Husky team is and really see where this defense is because this is where we've been praising. Um, you know, and I think we're going to – this might be the biggest test. Um, I guess it depends on how highly rated you or anybody else has Mankato, but – Obviously, you got the defending nat- uh, national champs. You're going there for kind of your first real road trip. Um, you know, I I guess you can count Madison, but 
it's it'll be a it'll it'll be a fun test, and I'm really looking forward to that uh, uh, that that series. Before we get too far into it, um, you know, let's uh, let's go for a player of the weekend, so I don't get yelled at. So, uh, who do you have there as uh, kind of your player of the weekend? Which yeah, maybe we're going to have to do an asterisk on since Friday was so bad for everyone. Well, that's the thing. I I can't really. It's tough because no one really qualified uh, on Friday night, so it's it's basically a, a Saturday. It's based on the Saturday. I'm going to give it to Ingram for basically for the highlight reel goal um, and the pass to Miettin. Like I can't, I, I wouldn't be able to give it to Miettin because I thought he was especially bad on Friday, whereas Ingram wasn't noticeably bad. He just wasn't noticeable kind of like the whole rest of the team was. You know, I guess you could give it to Okabe. He did get a goal in both games. But um, uh, I'll go with Ingram. Like, I, I, I do see the talent on this in, in this player. Um, he's still raw. I mean, I don't know how long we've got him in town here. But I, I do think that there's big things ahead. For Ingram and just that that one play kind of I mean that was the game winning goal. It was the second goal on Saturday. And really after that goal, you know, he, you could tell the the momentum had shifted and St. Cloud was gonna win that game, I think, yeah. after that goal was scored. And uh not looking like a, a a freshman in his first month in college hockey. And so Maybe I'm giving a little bit of this with potential in mind, you know, not so much the results, just the goal and the assist. But again, not a ton of plaudits to award for the Friday game. So the Saturday game was was just impressive and eyebrow raising enough to, well, yeah, I'll give it to Adam Migram, the first of I hope many Player of the Weekend awards that I give out. Ingram in his uh, St. Cloud career. How about you? Well, uh, go Huskies Woo, uh, since, you know, sponsored segment. No. Um, He uh, did select Okabe uh, for a goal. uh, I can see that. For both games. So I can see it. I'm a little bit surprised that you pick uh, Adam Ingram, um, because I thought I was going to be a little bit alone on that island, because that is my pick as well. Um, And it was not only with how you know big that goal was and the stick to itiveness i guess you can say on how he was on that shift where he got stuffed and able to steal the puck and put, pop it in um but also i thought he was a really good force um you know when it came to uh shots i think he had registered seven shots i thought he was incredibly you, you could tell he's getting a lot more comfortable out there and this was kind of the first weekend that, you know, I've really been able to open my eyes and be like, okay, I see this. It's starting to come together. And maybe that's with having Mietnan on his line and freeing up a little bit of space. I do hope that continues. I do hope these lines kind of continue on to the first game against Denver and see how everything goes there. Um, because we're going to need to be a little bit deeper um, against, uh, against Denver. Um, so, uh, but also he did really well in the faceoff dots too. Um, when it, when it came to the, uh, especially on Saturday, which, um, you know, I thought Crookshank was, um, 
you know, a little, little invisible. Um, and at times, um, you know, we talked about that two on one there late in the game on Friday. Um, and, uh, wasn't really generating a quality chance really off that, but it was, you know, a little bit of a little bit of drop. I did run a poll to see, to ask a Husky nation, to if he would, is going to beat Kevin Fitzgerald in points this year. And, uh, overwhelmingly yes. Or for his senior year, um, Kevin Fitzgerald was at, uh, so I had the over under at 36 and a half. And um, almost everybody said yes, that Crookshank's going to beat it. And then this weekend comes up, and he was pointless. So it was, um, we'll uh, kind of see if he can kind of kind of right the ship here um, against Denver. Because like I said, we're gonna we're definitely going to need it uh, for for this squad. So yeah, with that uh, Cranelo Cobby line, you know, switching Mietin and off that line, replacing it with Chase Brand. There was, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm a big fan of that. There was even one play where the f- sort of setup pass was to Brand. And I don't even think he got a shot off, like f- fluttered off his stick or something. I, I remember thinking, I, I wish Mietin would have been the guy catching that pass there at that time. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, wanting, wanting it both ways, I suppose. But just wondering if that is going to last, because that, I mean, Brand, you know, I'm not, I, I don't hate him as a player. I just, I'm struggling to to see him as a top six sort of finisher type. We saw him with the goal in the Mankato series. It was a tip from the, uh, from a treble shot. I think he's a, an admirable uh, penalty killer, but I don't see him really as, as even like a Kyler Kupka who is sort of, settled into a finisher type role with that Miller and Crookshank line. If he can be that guy, then fine. I, I, I think that would, that'd be all right to put him with there. But at, at this point, I'm not sure if that's the guy to replace Yetman. And I'm thinking maybe even like a Molinar or something would be a better choice than Brand. I'm not sure. It's kind of spitballing here, but if you have any comment, you don't need to, uh, comment if you don't have one but that was just the stray thought i had it was if you're going to shuffle these lines together you know there's we we forgot to mention that that was the, sort of the replacement for me on that line mm-hmm. um and did check rogers was the uh, other player with ingram and yet on that line which again ingram has got to have six or seven line mates total so far this year uh, add rogers to the list after this weekend and me obviously so but that's kind of been a trademark of st cloud even stretching beyond the Larson years is the willingness to change things up. You know, I don't think this is a wholesale, uh, put him in a blender type change. Uh, but it was, a a couple of deft, you know, one player here, one player there. And you know, I think the early returns, at least for the first game, I thought were good. So yep. see, uh, see how they do it this weekend. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer because, you know, Grant Deshaun has kind of only played on the right side, but that is uh, someone I think would have fit pretty well from what limited ice we've seen of Grant. Um, put him on the left side. Now, how comfortable he is on the left, I don't know. Um, you know, Chase Brand has been able to kind of play both sides of the ice serviceably. Um, but yeah, you know, Bolinar, it's, 
you know, I, I just don't really trust his finishing ability. Um, that Okabe and Kronola could probably give him those opportunities. So I would like that to go to the fresh and maybe give it to Alcoin. Um, and, you know, try to see if he can get a little bit um, uh, of confidence um, going. So it's, you know, I'm excited to see. I don't think Brand is a long-term solution there, so I'm kind of excited to see what, um, uh, you know, if we do kind of keep with this sort of lines that who is going to take that spot um, coming in Friday. Yeah. So. Uh, should we pivot? Uh, speaking of uh, a little bit pivot. of a preview here for Denver. So obviously uh, Denver came in you know, top team um, in the, they were number one in the polls, right? For defending champions. The start. The yes. So. That's sort uh, of an us, us show tradition. Tradition. <laughs> So, um, yeah, recent history there uh, with uh, with uh, Denver, it's been it, it's been kind of back and forth. I give a little bit of an edge to Denver, and maybe I'm just saying that because of the uh, NCHC championship uh, way back when. <laughs> but um, you know, Denver really took it to the Huskies here uh, all last year um, with. Uh, you know, a two nothing and then an eight to five loss. So for for the Huskies. But it's you know, the this Denver team, um, you know, some guys uh, are gone, but you know, some of their guys are 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 back. And that's where, you know, Carter Mazer, who um I thought had a really standout year last year, um, he's you know, already got ten goals so far in the season. He's putting up Cy Young numbers here with 10 goals and two assists. So it's, you know, and then obviously you got Magnus Krona uh, there who's doing, you know, he, he's got a good goals against. His save percentage isn't anything to write home about. But, you know, we're, we've seen a lot of Denver um, uh, recently, and it's, you, you know what you're going to get with them. And it's going to be, it's going to be a good test to see where there's Huskies at. What are you kind of looking forward to? And what are you kind of looking at uh, for the series? Yeah. Like I said, I, I do give them, I haven't watched, you know, I've watched more of Mankato than I have Denver based on the fact that I watched the two St. Cloud Mankato games, but the amounts that I've seen of Denver have been very good. And I, I do put them ahead of Mankato. I do think this is the toughest opponent that the Huskies have faced so far this year. Uh, this has been the series, as you mentioned, it, the home teams have, have really been in control of this series of late St. Cloud. It's not won in Denver since 2015. So that spans the entire Larson era. And then going back a little bit into the Motsko uh, days, I was actually at the last game that St. Cloud won in Denver. Uh, and they won a game in the Omaha pod that Denver was technically the home team, but we're not counting that. The last time they've actually won in Denver, we're going on seven years almost. So a place that has not been kind to the Huskies. Um, and you can chalk that up to the altitude if you want. I chalk it up more to the fact that Denver is usually pretty damn good. Yeah. And I think this is... Uh, 
the case again this year. As you mentioned, you know, they lost a ton last year, win the national title. Kind of like we've talked about the last couple of weekends with Mankato and Bemidji. I guess this is more par for the course these days in college hockey, but top four scorers for Denver, gone. Bobby Brink, Cole Gutman, Carter Savoy, Stapley, all gone from last year. All those guys, 40-plus point scorers. Brink, 50-plus points. He was a Hobie finalist. Um, that's a lot of offense to have to replace, but seems like they've got uh, plenty of guys that are ready and willing and able to replace that offense. As you mentioned, Mazur. Ten goals so far this year, five of them last weekend uh, in, in Miami with a sweep of the Red Hawks. The only conference series of the year to date for anybody. It's strange that Denver and Miami played the uh, first conference series last weekend, sweep by Denver. It's a, it's a big robbery. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not the Broncos and Dolphins. Um, <laughs> and it's not even Florida. But it, it sounds it sounds like a major league matchup, but but it's not. Um, yeah, Mazer, as you said, already off to a good start. Asimo Rizzo, who was a key contributor for them last year, thirty six points. He's leading the team right now with fourteen. Got got some transfers in there. We, we saw uh, Cameron Wright last year key contributor for Denver coming over from Bowling Green scored some huge goals for them playoffs. Uh, but he was just there for the one year last year and he's gone, but they've replaced him or, or let's say emulated that sort of move by picking up Casey Dornbach from, from Harvard in the transfer portal. And, and he's off to a flying start with, with uh, 12 points already. And he's a guy that scored 90 points in three years with Harvard um, he's a guy that probably's got pro. Yeah, uh, he's got a pro career ahead of him as well. So, uh, solid player there. I think in their season preview, mentioning the the B boys on the back end, Benning, Barons, sort of their two uh, top defensemen. They can score. They can defend. Benning, I believe, was the Frozen Four uh, outstanding player from last year. Uh, as you mentioned, Corona. I mean. 918 save percentage. That's, you know, it, it, he's not going to win the, the Richter, but he's won a national title for him and, and he's going to do the job. He's not going to lose games for you. He might not steal many for you, but he's not going to lose them either. Tristan bros, uh, another transfer from the Gophers. You might be uh, familiar with that name. Uh, so it's, it's a team that right now isn't to the level of last year's team, but Give this team some time. Those points might be there at the end of the year. I'm not sure if we're going to have a guy with 57 and multiple guys with 40. But I bet you Rizzo, Dornback, Mazur, those guys are, if they stay healthy, they're going to be right there in that ballpark. Uh, and they seem to spread the, the offense around, and they've got good defense. They're fast team. I remember last year's series just... St. Cloud's a fast team. Denver was blowing their doors off yeah. in stretches of, of that series. You know, that was what St. Cloud got off of the three zip lead on that Friday game. And then they didn't, you blinked. And the next thing you knew, you had eight goals on the board for Denver. Uh, and I think 
think it was like seven to two after this or seven to three after the second, something like that. And I think they scored a bunch of goals in, in a row there. I'm sure. I could, uh, wire up the box score if I wasn't lazy, but it was, a. Uh, I think I compared last year's Denver team to a sports car. Uh, this might, this might be more of like a high end sport utility vehicle at this point, but you know, it could be souped up, you know, uh, Give it some maintenance, and and it it can do the job. Uh, and Huskies, uh, they got to put their big boy pants on this weekend. If they, uh, I just don't want to get swept. Uh, I think Denver is going to be really good this year, uh, just like they were last year. And so a sweep isn't going to kill you. Um, you know, we saw mentioning the the struggles in Denver, including in the in those results. Uh, sweeping the sweep of Denver of St. Cloud in that 2017-2018 season. That was one of St. Cloud's number one overall seed years. So you can get swept in Denver and still be the number one overall seed. It's not going to kill you, but I'm just looking, just at least go to overtime in one of these games. You know, don't get shut out, you know, don't get shut out of any sort of pairwise points. But I do think that there is a chance that the Huskies are going to be able to win a game here. I, I think that they... We've seen them at their best. That was not this last weekend. But I think Denver is a team that they'd ra- they they like playing the Denver style rather than the Bemidji style. Yeah. So maybe that will give them some motivation. Uh, and, and maybe the fact that I think Denver hopped them in the polls. So we know that they like to take inspiration from the Ustro poll. Maybe that will um, inspire them to play up to Denver's level. I would not be shocked uh, if, if St. Cloud does, you know, at least get a split here. Um, And I'm going to be there in person. Obviously I'd love to see that. So I I don't know if I can go ahead and call it, you know, I, maybe my intuition from last week being razor sharp because I kind of saw the Bemidji loss there. I don't, I I don't really have a vision of this weekend. I can't say that I'm I'm in here and say, I, I, I'm in this, you know, in this envelope. I can see a St. Cloud sweep. I, I, I can't say that. Am I, but, am I Ed McMahon to you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, but you are correct, sir. You are correct, but, sir. But uh, I think we dated uh, ourselves with that reference. I don't think there's a lot of carnage. Well, I was more doing. I was more doing the Phil Hartman. Um, <laughs> impression ah. impression of him doing the Carcinio uh, bit where it's Danny Carvey as Johnny Carson, but he's rebooted himself to be hip with the younger crowd. So he's doing like an Arsenio, Arsenio Hall. Hall. See, college kids don't even know who Ar- Arsenio Hall is, much less Johnny Carson. So we are dating ourselves mm-hmm. here, but check out that YouTube with, uh, with Phil Hartman if you want. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm excited for the trip and excited to see some good hockey. And I I I do think I'll see that. I I, I can't guarantee that I'm going to see a Husky win, but I just want to see I want to see a better effort than what I saw in that Friday Bemidji game. I think we're going to get that at least if yeah. that translates to wins, even better. But just give me some good hockey. I paid some good money for these tickets, so and the and the airfare uh, and the rental car, so make it make me worth it. Uh, make, make my trip worth it, Huskies. Yeah, especially when you're landing into the uh, airport, you know, you're going to need a rental car to get to the city uh, from the Denver right. airport. 
because that's a 45 minute drive there. So, yes, you are. You are. You are correct. Sir. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, it's yeah, I, I I'm kind of in the same boat here. It's one of those things that it's like maybe I should be more, I guess, hype about the St. Cloud State team, but I still don't really know what we have. And maybe I'm in the minority here, but it's just like, I think we got the bones of a really solid team, but I think for us to beat like the top echelon, everybody has to be working. And if one of the, it's like a three-legged stool, you know, whereas one leg, you know, kind of falls apart or whatnot, everything's going to topple over. Whereas some other years, you know, if if the defense or the goaltending wasn't great, we've had the offense to sometimes carry us past that. We don't have that this year. At least I, I don't see it. So, um, but I do think with the defense that we have, we are going, I, I do feel the structure is sound, but I, I just need another, I need a little bit more, I guess, um, evidence of that. And I think this weekend is a great chance to really provide that for me. So that's kind of how I'm looking at the series. I am going to say we're going to get a split. Uh, and that's, I think that would be a, a, a great outcome here for, for St. Cloud, obviously, depending on how the games go. But that's uh, that's an outcome that I would love to see. Agree. Yeah, I, I, I'm in your boat, too, as far as I, I'm still not quite sure what what we have here. And I think part of that is chalked up to the the schedule here where Mankato really the. Weird to say that Mankato is by far the strongest test, and, and those are two games that you won and the one that you lost was to Bemidji. I'm not going to complain too much. I'm not going to complain at all with the seven and one mark. If you're going to tell me going into Denver, St. Cloud is going to be seven and one. I take that all day long. Yeah. Uh, but you know, St. Thomas is not good. Wisconsin's not good. Bemidji's, I, I don't think very good. Um, and so I don't know how much stock I should put into that seven to one. It's just like, you know, Penn state's eight. No, but look at who they played. Uh, two of the same teams that I just mentioned with St. Cloud. So I, I don't, we still need some more evidence from the St. Cloud team. And you do that, especially with playing in conference. I, in the next, we got Western Michigan coming in next weekend. I think that'll be a nice little test too. So uh, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know if I can go ahead and, and guarantee a split or call a split, but I'm going to I'm going to call at least that the Huskies aren't going to get swept. I'll say that, which means that they're going to at least go to overtime in one of these games. Um maybe that's too weak of a call. I can only go with what my gut's telling me. So that's that's what I have. Um and so, yeah, that's I guess that's my Weasley uh non-prediction. I like it. Yeah. Going to overtime on the roads, not bad. You should. There's a. Did you read that article on CHN about <laughs> kind of new pairwise implications? That was uh, Woden's article, right? Yeah. Well, it's this classic college hockey where they just they figured it out after a season of implementing the fifty-five forty-five thing. With if you won in overtime last year, the team that won 
receive 55% of a win. The losing team got 45% of the win. But you forgot, people forgot to factor in that about 10 years ago, they reweighted the RPI to give road teams a benefit. So if you lose on the road, that only counts as 0.8 of a loss. I know that if this math sounds wacky, I, I, I hear you. But stay with me here. If you lose at home, that's that that hurts the home team more. So a home loss counts 1.2 times what a regular loss is. So it's basically trying to you know, give a bone to road teams to, to factor in that it's harder to win in the road than it is to win at home. Well, if you multiply those things by the 55% and 45% with the overtimes, the funny thing happens is if a road team loses an overtime game with the 55 and 45, their percentage of the points is actually higher than the home team that won. That's never a good that's a that's a good uh way to identify that your math is flawed if the winning team gets less of a uh benefit in the point in the math than the team that lost. So that's the main reason that they went to the 67% for a w- overtime win versus 33% for an overtime loss, even factoring in the home and away thing. It, you're guaranteed to get more points than your than the team that you beat in overtime with these current weightings. This is all to say that this is crazy that 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 no one really noticed that Woden I thought made a really good point too is that it really doesn't matter because the big flaw that again they still need to fix this this is just going into the RPI pairwise is based with on three different criteria RPI is one of them but then head to head and strength common, scar- opponents. Uh, common opponents is the other and how they are still factoring in overtime losses in the those last two categories they're they're fa- they're counting a overtime win or an overtime loss the same as a regulation win or regulation loss which is way more impactful than the RPI we're just talking about percentages of tenths of percentages when it comes to the RPI and it comes to overtime losses but for instance last year when the huskies lost that game to the gophers in overtime I mean, for the rest of the year, the head-to-head with the Gophers was just one-to-one. Everyone got the point, but St. Cloud won in over or won in regulation, and they lost in in an overtime game. That shouldn't be a, a fair one-to-one split, an even one-to-one split there. And that could certainly come into play when you're comparing teams in the pairwise. Like St. Cloud could have been able to. You know, you could be able to jump a team based on a head-to-head, winning a head-to-head comparison like that. And so, if if they are going to factor in different math with overtime losses in the RPI, they really need to reflect that same sort of 
difference in the other two categories that the pairwise uses. Uh, if not, then it's you're still using a flawed system. Yeah. Maybe this, maybe the whole point is you shouldn't rely on a computer to spit out your teams because we're seeing right now how kind of there is flaws in it. Are they terrible flaws? Like, I don't think they're spitting out 16 teams. Then, you know, we've got another Denver that was just sitting on the, on the sidelines that no one knew about, you know, <laughs> it, that's not the case here, but you know, it just, it matters in the, in the edges and it matters with the matchups because it looks like the committee is just using the pairwise. Like I think it was last two years or last year was they basically took the, down to the very, you know, thousandth of a percent point. Mm-hmm. However, the pairwise had them ranked. That was the seating that they were locked into seemingly. So if that's what you're going to do, you got to make sure that your formula that you're basing all of that on is solid. And I think that this article shows that it's not. So uh, five minute rambling rant over. Well, I do want to say that since since people I have seen on Twitter are already looking at the pairwise, which again is stupid. I, I have, not. <laughs> I have um, not. It's not on the CHN app, and I hope it's by design. Like, don't look at the pairwise until Thanksgiving. I think is a good rule of thumb. Because I did see actually, I saw someone on CHN did like he does like a weekly. Here's what the weekend's gonna look like, and I think he had like the top ten pairwise in Miami was in there. That's why you shouldn't look at the Bearwise in October. Uh, no dig to Miami, even though that clearly was. But they're not the top, the fifth best team in the country. Yeah. I don't care how many times they beat Canisius. Um, I, so, yeah, don't look, don't look at the Bearwise until Thanksgiving. But I do think, like, so much hand-wringing going over the Bearwise um, is, is a lot of that, I think, kind of has to do with Every, like, when Duluth made it in on the thousandth of a point, you know, and I think now everyone looks at every single stumble in any single game as, oh my gosh, this could make or break the entire season. It weighs that much heavily. If it comes down to that, it, like, you have other issues on your team. If it comes down to one specific instance that you slipped up and, like, people may be freaking out that we lost that Babiji and that's going to ruin our chances. See, it's like, nah, we're going to have other problems if that game is going to be deciding of it. So just cool it with the pairwise talk because it's driving me batty. Yeah. Certainly don't look at it now. Um, it really doesn't get, I think you shouldn't even, I, I'm saying Thanksgiving. You shouldn't even look at it until like January. I think. I try not. And I even, don't look to until January. Yeah, and and even then, you you can make a jump. I mean, I think the CHN guys last year were saying that they looked at the last ten or so tournaments, and the pairwise at Thanksgiving was over ninety percent what the teams were in the field. Like it's. There's not a ton of change after that, but there's always exceptions to the rule. I believe it was the, it was the year that, that the Huskies played Michigan Tech. I think the Huskies were close to, or maybe even in the low 20s. 
sort of like late January, early February, and then made a push. That was the year that they were barely above 500, sixth in the conference, and made the tournament. Um, and I know they made a, a late push. Alaska Fairbanks did that like 10, 12 years ago, where they were buried somewhere in the 20s, and they just like won their last 10 games or something in the regular season and, and qualified for it at large. So it can happen, but a lot of it is sort of, if you're in, you, you can be pretty solid by, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas. Um, and one way you do that is to bank some big wins. And I think Huskies did that with Mankato. They have the opportunity to do that this weekend. I think a split mm-hmm. would be fantastic for this team from a pairwise perspective. Just banking one of those wins would be huge. So, um, but I, yes, I agree. Let's not get freaked out about the pairwise uh, just yet. Um, anything else you kind of want to tap on with uh, the weekend here of, uh, of Denver before we go on to questions? Nothing about the Denver series. Uh, just a reminder, if you are traveling there, email me at huskieshockeypodcast at gmail.com. If you want to meet up, I'd be happy to do so. Should have time between periods. If you bring a um, Huskies Hockey Podcast sign, and he'll buy you a beer. Andrew will buy you a beer. There you go. I, <laughs> I, I like that idea. Uh, we can bring our own whiteboard to counteract the Denver whiteboard. Yes, yes. Let's say, I forgot about that. Yes, that sounds like a grand plan. Um, so, yeah, so if there's any other traveling Huskies fans this weekend, don't uh, be shy to uh, hit me up on email, because I would happily, happily say hello. Uh, but, yeah, that's it for this. I guess I don't have anything else uh, regarding this series. So Yeah, uh, nope. Um, I, like I said, I, I assume we're going to be... Uh, keeping with the rotating uh, goalies and I think that aspect has been working out well so there's no reason to change it right now um, mm-hmm. agreed so hopping over to questions only a couple of questions um, one just about the improvement in faceoff dots on Saturday night um, yeah Saturday night Huskies really dominated the faceoffs Looking at the CHN, it looked like the Huskies had the edge on faceoffs on Friday as well, but it really didn't feel like that watching the game. It felt like Bemidji just controlled the puck quite a bit. So I don't know what was out going on with the faceoff counter there, but it felt like Bemidji really had the jump there on the faceoffs. So um, I feel like it can it can sort of depend on who the official score is at the game. Because there is a bit of gray area there, like winning a face-off versus gaining possession. You can win the face-off, but then sort of quickly lose control of the puck. And some will sort of, if there is something, a scenario like that, they might just give it to the team that gains possession first, rather than Mm -hmm. I'm going to win the draw the cleanest. Because, yeah, I agree. I, I don't feel like... I don't feel like the Huskies were dominated by the Beavers in the faceoffs on Friday, but I feel like the Beavers were dominating in possession. Just yeah, they it, it felt like the Huskies weren't really ever able to set up their game, and I thought faceoffs or winning those battles post faceoff were were going in Bemidji's favor, and and I did see a 
uh, a good improvement on that for the Huskies on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I, I agree with, with the, uh, the good adjustment made there. Yeah. And um, from our good friend of the show, Dan Jacobson, uh, <laughs> how great was that North Dakota loss in Vegas? You know, for for how much they talk about their business suits and how great you know all the black jerseys are, God, they've they've uh, they've really turned out some stinkers uh, in those jerseys. And that uh, fr- that uh, Vegas game going out of going out of business. They'd be going yeah. out of business at this rate. Going out of business uh, suits is more like it. And um, and and that's where it's like, because I thought you know. North Dakota came out incredibly well in the first period, but I, I don't know if it was something Arizona State did or something that just North Dakota forgot to kind of continue to play with the same intensity, but it was, I mean, I think, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think North Dakota only had like 15 shots or 18 shots, like something really abysmal. That's what CHN has, 15. And, and when you have the fan base that you have, the dedicated fan base that you have, that'll show up on Mars to watch a hockey game, and and yet you have that kind of showing. That's, uh, I mean, I don't want to say it's embarrassing, but it's uh, it's kind of a slap in the face to the people who, you, you know, yet you, you you want to put on a show for them. Um, to the people who traveled out from from North Dakota and around the country to go to Vegas for the game, and that's that's what you put out. So obviously, I loved it. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much all I can say on that one. I was, I think the the announcers who were the North Dakota announcers, I think they had, and Taylor spe- Budge was uh, side ice side, yes, which is uh, uh, Saint Cloud State. Husky, right? Yeah. Um, they had speculated that this was perhaps Arizona State's biggest win as a program in D1. God. Oh, my God, the hubris. <laughs> I actually don't think it's that ridiculous. I mean, they've they've made a tournament before, but and they were in position to make it in 2020 as well. They were in the pairwise gate when the season was canceled. But I, I remember a couple of weeks ago going through those schedules. I mean, those those appearances were mainly quantity versus quality wins. I know in the year that they actually played in the tournament, they lost to Quinnipiac. They only played, they only beat one team who also made the tournament. They beat Harvard that year, who also made the tournament. I think they were one in seven against teams that also made the tournament. Again, shows you again about the pairwise. Like you, a lot of it is because of the fact that they had something like 23, 24 wins was more important than any sort of quality wins. And they, they had some losses to, to lower teams there too. Not a ton, but, and that's, that's 2020 season. I think they only had three wins against quote unquote good, you know, top 16 pairwise teams. So I think you could make that argument. I mean, it is, yeah, I, I do think it is hubris, but I do, I mean, you give them credit, that building was, I don't know if it was packed, but certainly like 15,000, 16,000. I'm wondering if there is the attendance figure on that. I'm kind of curious now that we're talking about it. I didn't think, I didn't 
didn't think to uh to look at it. Um but yeah, yeah cuz this was the uh 15503. Yeah, 15.5. And the the crowd looked pretty and it was, you know, of that 15,000 plus There's 90% a lot of green. green. Yeah. I mean, hostile territory and all that. So, I don't think it's all that preposterous, frankly. Um interesting how Arizona State is going to be this year like they have opened the new arena now uh, but they had a you know they they beat Colgate in their first game but then lost to Colgate and Colgate is not off to a good start um, they just went the one and three in their Minnesota trip to Bemidji and uh, Duluth so you know just that five and four uh, yeah, I, I do think that they could be a contender, and they've they've got a lot of home games this year, which is is going to play in their fa- in their favor, I think. Um, so it'll be a very interesting team to watch. I, I hope to catch a couple of their games this year. I do want to check out the new digs, but it was a good performance, especially after getting down two nothing um, and uh, and being able to come back uh, in in that uh, you know in the context of the Hall of Fame game and the business suits and the green and all the tradition and through these doors. And, uh, all that fart noise, North Dakota stuff. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give the Sun Devils some credit. How about this, though? I did think this. I just caught the third period there. You know, business suits, as you're saying, with, with the North Dakota players and Barry and his coaching staff looking dapper as always. Greg Powers for uh, Arizona State. He's just got the uh, the quarter zip pullover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, like, if they're kind of like showing up to work and they're like, "Oh, I didn't know it was Casual Friday." Um, I thought that was interesting, and it's like I kind of like that from Powers. Like, no, we're not going to take this super seriously. I know you guys want to take it seriously, but. You know, we're just going to play a little bit more relaxed. You know, we're the desert. Just take things easier, man. Well, uh, uh, you know, Powers is one of those new age, you know, it's uh, let the, uh, you know, be more of an approachable boss uh, instead of the hard authority figure and the hard nose. You know, he one of those I'm newer d- management styles that, uh, you know, to coach to coach some of these Gen Zers, these TikTokers and whatnot, you got to. You got to have a different approach because that uh, I am I am the czar here on the ice that doesn't cut it. And maybe that's what Powers I'm just is wondering. Going for. I'm just wondering if Bradbury and what Carl Gearing, who else is on the staff, if they're thinking, God, I don't think that they dressed appropriately. If they thought that, they are taking themselves too seriously. I think when the when the pandemic happened, they had that Omaha Pod. I was wondering if that was going to be something that COVID killed. The tradition, tradition, tradition. soundbite here, the tradition of hockey coaches suit and tying it up because Larson, pretty much all the, I don't remember any of the coaches, actually, they like all went windbreaker, you know, branded windbreaker, the quarter zip or something. Uh, I don't, I think they pretty much put away the suit and ties. Not only for that pod, but if I remember for like the regular season there, and I think it was because you know no fans and that was kind of lent something uh, a feeling to that season that it never was really real like maybe i'm 
reading too much into it, but I thought that that might have that might have been something that COVID killed. Is is but everyone starting with last year, we're back to the suit and ties, except good old Powers. So I'm wondering if he's going to start a trend here. Is is what I'm guessing or what I what I'm speculating? Trendsetter. It's I've always thought it looked kind of ridiculous in in you know. In a suit and tie, every day, once I in a while, so Matsko would uh, pull out the power vest. You know, he would, yes, he would well, wear that. I think he got that from Mike Eaves. <laughs> yeah. And I do say, I, I don't think I saw him this weekend, but Enga, he's been rocking like this. It's not a sweater, but it's like an actual vest. I don't know if you've caught him on, on, the, on the bench. I don't know if I have. Al, I uh, maybe not every thing. game. Maybe not every game, but he's got like a, it's got like the same you know, material. I'm not oh. a suit wearer, so I don't know the, the 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 jargon here. But it's like the same material as the blazer in the vest. It's I'm saying it's a good look, but but it's just interesting. Like high school coaches, they're all windbreakers, uh, and I think if you showed up to the Minnesota uh, state hockey tournament in suit and tie, and you weren't uh, who's the Edina coach that was known for the the cap and the suit and tie. Willard Eichola. After Eichelah. the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, Eichola. Willard yep. Eichola, yes. If you, it, yeah, after 1975, if you showed up at the Minnesota State High School tournament in suit and tie, people would probably look at you a little weird. Mm-hmm. But in college, it's the expectation. It's just these, this is the anthropology of, you know, cultures and why, you know, why are we suiting and tying it up here? And it just, it's, it's, I don't know. I think we should have a long hour long discussion about that sometime. Maybe for (laughs) a next summer podcast. Next, uh, next bye week, we're going to go, we're going to actually grade all of the suit game of all of the coaches. Let's do it. I like it. I like that idea. But let's, uh, and let's say what they should wear instead and more, you know, more casual. Let's, uh, let's, let's get the stuffiness out of hockey. That's, uh, that's right. That's a, I like it. So, you know, you were talking about Arizona state and their non-conference, uh, schedule. And, you know, mostly when you brought up their, uh, you know, their, their home games that they have <laughs> looking at their schedule, they're on the road at New Hampshire, December 9th and 10th. Okay. After that series, do you know how many games they play on the road the rest of the season? I'm looking at it now. Four Looks games. Looks like just, and yeah, so two Alaska trips. And they're two Alaska which, trips, yep. Which, I mean, they. I'm wondering if they're playing 38 games then, because four games up in Anchorage means you can tack on four games to the typical max of 34 I haven't done the math and I, I can't do it right now, but, but yeah, that second half of the season, you know, they, they've got a, they're hosting a tournament at their facility. Uh, they've got the Gophers. I, cause I'm just going by, I'm not going to go to a game there if the Huskies are playing that same day. So I'm looking at that Gopher series to catch one of those games. It's right after Thanksgiving, that sort of black Friday weekend. And then I do want to check out that, um, it's the weekend the go the Huskies play the Gophers, but they play Saturday, Sunday. Arizona State hosts a tournament, four team tournament at their building Friday, Saturday. So I might want to check out that Friday action. Michigan Tech 
plays Arizona State, and then it's Boston University and Air Force for the other game. That might, if 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 it all works out, I think I'd check that out. Or they play Boston College the week before. I suppose I could go to that too, because the Huskies do not play that weekend either. So I've got some options to go up there, and I, I'd like to do it at least once, if not more. So, but yeah, it's, I didn't didn't put that together. That yeah, I mean, you still got you got Clarkson coming up. You got a trip to Denver or uh, New Hampshire, as you mentioned. The go the Gopher series will be tough for them. But then okay. after so, after that, it's opening up pretty pretty well for them. And they're yeah, it's yeah, Mankato coming to town, but then it's RIT, St. Thomas, Lindenwood, Alaska. You got Anchorage, Long Island. Island. I mean, they yeah. could really rack up. This could be another sort of quantity win season. You're not going to get a ton of quality there. Um, but there's chances though. Like I said, you got the you know Gophers and Denver. You got some chances to pick up some quality wins and. This North Dakota win might be one of those too. So, yeah, I wouldn't uh, would certainly not rule out the possibility of 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 them making a tournament uh, appearance this year. So I I counted just up and down. I counted forty games, but well, that's well because this Hall of Fame game is also exempt. Yeah. Um. So that does not count towards the towards the max. But it's really interesting because on January 7th, I'm seeing there says BU slash Air Force. And then below that is versus Boston University. And they're both on the 7th. And the 6th before that is Michigan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so, they're double counting. They're double counting that. So they're playing 39 games, which so, is, makes sense because they're, they're taking full advantage of the, the two Alaska trips and gotcha. the Hall of Fame game. So they are playing a full boat. Which is a far cry from when there wasn't any other um, non-conference or um, teams without a conference home where, you know, they run into those roll box where they weren't able to schedule anyone in February and March because everyone right. was locked in conference play. So Correct. That's, um, that's all, you know, one of the things about having, a, you know, some people who don't have a home, some teams that don't have an home, then, you know, maybe it's going to really work into Arizona State's favor here. So. But. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, that's uh, pretty much all I got. Um, anything else kind of well, stuck out around college hockey? Uh, Brown. <laughs> Brown? Bro. Yeah, oh, I forgot. Brown watch. Uh, split against Yale. Uh, on and- Saturday, I tried three times to tune into the game on ESPN+. And I got the technical difficulties... Uh, freeze frame like come and, on you're, you're the ivy league you're the ivy league i think you're smart enough to figure out how to get the stream working um very disappointed by that i'm gonna blame the yale uh people for that because it was their home game that day i did not catch the brown home opener on sunday but they did end up winning there and i did see with that split against yale Retain the vote. Retain that one vote. That that <laughs> voter holding strong. They're at the twentieth spot. Uh, do we have? Do to we say call Saint Cloud slipped to four? I guess. I mean, I guess we can mention it now. Saint Cloud's at four from two right. in the polls. But. And six first place votes. Mm-hmm. We got Denver up to two. Michigan to one. Michigan sweeping well, win and an overtime win. 
against Western Michigan. So Michigan, everybody's favorite. Uh, back to number one. Interesting. It's got to be the first time UConn has gotten a first place vote. Can't imagine they've ever. I mean, as we mentioned, they've never made the tournament. And well, I can't. Last week was their first time ever in the top ten of the polls. Oh, really? So yeah. So I bet it's got to be the first. So yeah, this has to be the first time they got. And it's probably Shoshman. While he's eating. While he's eating Chipotle in St. Cloud because that's his best, his favorite restaurant. Good lord. Yeah, this was, uh, you know, Bemidji. Yeah, people are impressed by Bemidji's win. Sneaking into number 20 there. So, good for the Beavers. People yeah. seem to not, not be big on Penn State, though, because now they are the... The lone, well, I guess you can't say the lone undefeated team because now Harvard and you know, the Ivies are up now, so Harvard is technically still undefeated at 2-0. and But Penn State at 8-0. But at 13, people are kind of looking at that, that schedule and not being super impressed. So uh, we'll see if their winning ways continue. But, yeah, I mean, it's... As far as us show polls go, I mean, you got six teams getting first place votes. It's kind of all mashed up there at the top. That yeah, um, nice little that, poll. You know, we're talking about that being a benchmark series for um, Minnesota or for St. Cloud State and and Denver. With that being two teams in the top five, two teams in the top four, if we want to get technical about it. But you know, uh, Penn State. You know, next weekend is playing Michigan at home. So, I right. mean, if if people are going to take Penn State seriously, um, you know, like you yeah. said they're 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 down they're 8-0, but they're down there. You know, they had a they had a split against or a sweep against Wisconsin. So, um, who swept Minnesota Duluth and you know, by comparison sakes and whatnot. But it's it's going to be one of those. It's like what where what are people going to look at? What are people going to take away from after that series? How how it's going to go? Because people think very highly of Michigan. Um, yes. When I look at Michigan, I think very highly of one player. So, which player is that? Uh Fantilli. Yeah, he is off to a good start. They lost that Nazar. Another one of the first round draft picks they had, but I don't think he played at all this year. And they announced that he's like having surgery; he's not going to play at all. So, one of their blue chippers, one of their half dozen yeah. first round picks, is not going to see think, action this year. But think they'll be fine. Maybe. So, um, but that's going to be. Yeah, that, in, in, I'm going to have an eye on that series just because you know. Obviously, yeah. I don't think much of Penn State. Never have thought much of Penn State. That's gonna be one that I'm gonna look at. Yeah, if they like, if they want some respect for me, like go sweep Michigan. Mm-hmm. Then, then I'll, then I'll, you know, I'll stop the bit of the Atlantic hockey team thing. At least for this year, we'll we'll start it again next year when you have that same schedule. But <laughs> at least for this year, I can retire the bit. Do we have another Allentown regional this year? I think we do. Oh, <laughs> so I think that they're they were. I think that they're uh, hosting another regional, so we might have a host regional. It, it, like if 
we're gonna we have more of a, a chance of getting that if they do things like sweep Michigan, or even I guess split against Michigan at this at this rate. But yeah, that's part of uh, establishing a program and establishing a reputation. And in my the reputation I have for them is one of. I, I don't really respect the program for the reasons that I've expressed here. Not, not uh, you know, going out of your way to not schedule decent non-conference, saying no to teams who want to schedule non-conference. And that was one of the things in, in the Wodan article that we mentioned about the pairwise. He also mentions, I think obliquely, I don't think he mentions Penn State by name, but I think part of the last little paragraph he had there was about you know, teams that don't schedule tough non-conference, well, it's it's basically the same from a team that schedules a tough non-conference and only wins half those games. If you schedule the easy teams and you win all of them, then it's basically all the same in the wash, which I can trust them on the math part, but from the reputation of a program and your likability quotient does not do very well for that. I, like I do think there's, there's, there's more than just the math that goes into the formula in, in my, in my lights. Uh, yeah, we're so still on. You're, you're right. Allentown, um, is, uh, Penn state. Um, also Yale at, uh, Bridgeport, uh, Fargo and Manchester are the regional sites this year. Fargo. Great. Hey, and that's the so 20, you said far, what Fargo, 20, Bridgeport, Allentown. What was the other one? Worcester? Manchester, New Hampshire. Manchester. So just one again, just like last year, one Western regional. They're hey. calling the Allentown regional the Midwest, but basically one Western regional. Which, from St. Cloud's perspective, that means either going to a North Dakota hosted regional, or going out east. Mm-hmm jumping on a plane not not good from a fan of st cloud fans perspective but it's not gonna ahead of ourselves like, it, it, got a lot it's of season not to go it, before it, that. it's regionals uh for college hockey so it's not good for a fan's perspective period it's <laughs> always we just end the sentence right there hey guess, but is, but 2024 we got some we got some good sites is that the uh, lindenwood one we got the lindenwood in maryland heights missouri I guess I don't know if it's Missouri or Missouri there, but uh, Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota. So and is is Omaha? Omaha, that or is, that is, okay. Yep. All right, so, interesting. Which I've always thought Sioux Falls would be a great place for regional. Or you, there's a lot of the, um, like uh, USHL arenas that are in kind of that area in Iowa that I think are solid places to host a regional. Um, especially if it just, that's going to be got a bid, right? That's what the, yeah, that's the that's comeback is. You just, no one bids, right? Don't complain if you don't put a bid in. Like, yeah, and, that's, and, and there is a lot to that because guess what? It's nobody bids because it's terrible for the fans. So nobody goes, so they don't get right. invested. It is. So it's this chicken and the egg scenario. Yeah. This is a podcast for March. I don't know why fair, we're getting into this now. And to be fair, I've spent like two weeks in Cedar Rapids. Two weeks, I ain't I'm never gonna get back. Uh, I don't need to go to Cedar Rapids again. Although they don't they have like five USHL teams in Iowa and zero in Minnesota. It's very strange mm-hmm. to me. Uh, I just think that I there's. I mean, works. there's six college hockey teams in Minnesota. Where would you yeah, put a USHL team? 
Maybe, and, and, but you got, what, four NAHL teams? Yeah, something like that. And it seems like the St. Cloud one draws fans. Like, you, you, I think that they, I think eight, like one USHL team in the Twin Cities, I think would, I mean, I don't think it's going to draw 10,000 fans, but you, you put it at a, I don't know, smaller facility, and I think that it could be viable. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, they used to have it, St. Cla- uh, Paul Vulcans. Uh, shout out to uh, my dad on the St. Paul Vulcans 1975-76 roster, coached Woo. by Doug Woog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> check that out. My dad's on Hockey DB. Oh, that's he has cool. a listing there. And you look at that team, like Frank Serratori was the goaltender. They had like four guys that ended up playing in the NHL. Jim Cunningham, probably the most notably, played like he played like ten years in the pros. Um, uh, Mark Mazzolini was the other. So both the goalies on that team ended up coaching D one. They had Serratori, and then Mazzolini was the coach for Miami and Harvard for ten plus years. Anyway, getting off track again, but uh, yeah, I think that a USHL team in Minnesota could could work. Do it. That's that's my that's my next soapbox. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. Um, yeah. Any uh, other uh, you know matchups? I guess we can run down quickly. Uh, NCHC Miami uh, hops over to Kalamazoo to play Western Michigan. Uh, North Dakota uh, goes down to Omaha in the. But they're both on, what what is that? I twenty nine. Twenty nine. I think are they both on I twenty nine? I think they are. It's twenty nine. Yeah, twenty. I was thinking twenty five, but twenty five is Denver. See, you're talking about um, you know, trophies and whatnot. You know, like they should bring back the the traveling uh training kit for the the Saint Cloud <laughs> Mankato series. But let's have an I twenty nine trophy. Maybe like a like some kind of uh, piece of asphalt for my twenty nine uh, that uh, North Dakota and Omaha can go ahead and battle over. Isn't that the one too? Where like every every year when North Dakota traveled down there, there was some travel disaster. Yeah. Like they got in a snowstorm and had to spend a night in some. You know, backwoods town that you know, and I think a play. They tried to fly. I think finally one year, and then the, I think the weather was bad. They had to ground the plane or something. It was just everything they tried was was not working. So I'm really I haven't happy. heard anything about that bit lately. So yeah. maybe that's not been the case recently. Eh, global warming. I uh, think. I mean, it's November. It's not like dead of winter. So yeah, the travel shouldn't be too bad. I'm happy we're not a bigger podcast because I know some North Dakota fans who get like, because we only care about one trophy. <laughs> Just something like that. Uh, Minnesota Duluth uh, against Colorado College. So, I mean, obviously we're the premier series here. Ooh, uh, so. I should mention our favorite person in the world, Dan Jacobson, is going to be in the state of Colorado at the same time I'm going to be. Oh, um, are uh, two ships passing in the night. And he did email me. Um, I don't know if this is uh, breaking privacy here, Dan, but yeah, he's gonna he be wanted tricked. to see if we could see if we could meet up in Denver because they're flying in there and doing a little bit of day drinking in Denver before they head down to the Springs. But as you do, it it sounded like a great idea. I just 
I am actually staying in Fort Collins, which is like an hour north of Denver. Uh, so, uh, and I don't think we're going to be able to hit the road until close. Basically, I don't think we have time to pregame, unfortunately. Um, so, I don't think it'll work. There's a chance, but I think my buddy has to work that day. So, I don't think that we're going to be able to get down there early enough. But, uh, safe travels to those many, at least one Duluth fan that's also going to be traveling to Colorado this week but uh yeah some good matchups uh, first full weekend of conference play uh be interesting to see uh how this whole thing shakes out this year yep. yeah i'm gonna kind of keep an eye on that miami western i think i'm probably gonna watch that before the uh st cloud denver game and just kind of get a gauge of miami this year um yeah you know if they if they have the ability to kind of sneak up and maybe be a little bit better than they have been the, in the previous few years. So, um, Connecticut kind of, uh, kind of the darling Cinderella so far earlier in the season plays Maine at home, uh, at least on Friday. I, what are they on Saturday as well. Okay. I don't know. See hockey East coast. They do weird schedules sometimes. So I, yeah. Uh, any other chair you want to put on top of this? I don't think so. I feel like there's something that I'm forgetting, but, but in an hour and 50 minute podcast, I have no yeah. excuse not to have gotten it. If, if I can't remember it now, it was not, it was really not important based was, on the rants really that I went on this week. Bottom of the barrel. So. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm, again, Weldy at More Clappers, M-O-A-R, More Clappers. Uh, tweet me your overrated and underrated candy bars um, and, and tell us how wrong we are. And, uh, and Andrew, you can email uh, him at the official Huskies Hockey Podcast uh, email address. And what is that email address again? That is Huskies Hockey Podcast at gmail.com. Again, if you're going to be in Denver, hit me up. Perfect. So, well, that about does it. Uh, so, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, go Huskies. Woo!